Paul's letter to the Galatians. I'm going to throw a curveball at our fellow running the, the electronics back there. Uh, I put in the material that I gave him that the passage we're going to be looking at and reading is Galatians 1, verses 1 through 24. I'm going to do something perhaps really knucklehead because chapters 1 and 2 is all a large narrative. And so I'm actually going to read both. I'm going to read Galatians chapters 1 and 2 so we can get the entire narrative that Paul sets before us. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that, we, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles... I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia <clears throat> and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. 
and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But privately, to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with us, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we 
have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for his righteousness comes through the law. Then Christ died in vain. It is a heavy narrative here. It is a very, it is a straight from the shoulder punch to the face of his readers. The episode in Antioch to Peter. To, why? Let me tell you something, folks. The gospel of Jesus Christ is completely contrary to anything that fallen human beings would invent even those who call themselves or consider themselves to be righteous before the righteous God. What was Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, what was his mindset? What was the mindset of the sect of the Pharisees? What was the mindset of the Jewish... By the way, the Pharisees were the heroes in the Jewish culture. The Jew, a typical Jew, looked up to the Pharisee. Now, most people couldn't afford to be Pharisees. They couldn't take the time off. They couldn't afford it. You actually had to have a little bit of independent wealth to be able to do all this stuff Pharisees did. Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus is in the province of Cilicia, what is modern-day South Turkey. His daddy sent him to Jerusalem. He was from a wealthy family, was Saul of Tarsus. He was sent to Jerusalem to become a Pharisee, to get all this training. And he was a student of the most renowned of all Pharisees, Gamaliel. And he was the star pupil. He was the star pupil. We read the book of Acts. And here is this fellow, Saul of Tarsus, who is holding the coats of the men stoning Stephen to death. Stoning Stephen to death. He held their coats. Why did they stone Stephen to death? Because that powerful disciple Stephen was publicly telling the truth about Jesus. And when you can't, and we see this all the time in our culture, what is the response of people who are going to lose the debate? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you question me? How dare? And what do they seek to do? If they can literally kill the person who would win the debate. Stephen was winning the debate day after day after day after day in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees couldn't handle him, so they murdered him. And Saul of Tarsus held the coast of the ones that stoned Stephen to death, 
And then he's per- leading the persecution of the Christians who are in Jerusalem. And he takes, he goes, how big a knucklehead is this guy, Saul of Tarsus? He's taking letters all the way to Damascus, Syria, so he can extend the persecution of Jews who have come to Christ in Damascus. He is an outrageous fanatic. When he comes, he's just outside the gates of Damascus. And what does the text in Acts say? Jesus face plants him in the dirt. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now he knows the answer to this question. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, those that pointed stick. What do you do to motivate an ox to do the job he's supposed to do? You use that goad to get him moving. And if he starts kicking to discipline him, you just hold that goad still, and he kicks the goad. He hurts himself. Well, Saul of Tarsus had been kicking against goads. There's been an invisible reality. Nobody else surrounding him knew what was going on. But I'm going to suggest to you that one of those goads, his conscience is so afflicted by his, his helping to murder Stephen. What did Stephen pray at the very end? And who is it that told Luke to write this in Acts? It was Saul of Tarsus. Father, do not lay this sin to their charge. And Saul of Tarsus knew he never could have prayed that prayer. Plus, based on what he will say here in Galatians and also in Romans, I think another one of those goads is the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. Why? Because it internalizes everything else. You shall not covet your neighbor's life, wife, stuff, reputation. Well, Saul of Tarsus coveted all of that. That's why his father sent him to Jerusalem in the first place, to become a Pharisee, because they want, he wanted the renown. He wanted the renown. He wanted the respect of the Jewish culture. He wanted to be elevated. And he knew, he knew that was pride. What is the worst sin named in the Scripture? Pride. Pride. I don't need what God says he will supply to me. And your pride sends you to hell because you won't welcome God's solution to your sin problem. And so here is Saul of Tarsus, face planted in the dirt. He's brought into the kingdom. And he goes through years. How long did it take Paul to go from being Saul of Tarsus and that orientation that was so much a part of him when he came to faith in Christ, he, he's there in Damascus. They let him down in a basket to escape the Jews that want to kill him there. He goes to Arabia. He comes back to Damascus. Then he, after three years, he comes to Jerusalem. Barnabas, the apostles don't want to meet with this guy. Oh, we can't trust this guy. We can't trust this guy. And Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, it was a name given to him by the apostles, he sits down with Saul of Tarsus and finds, yes, this is real, this is authentic. And he brings Paul to the apostles. And they sit and listen to him, they embrace him, and then Paul goes home. 
he ends up going back to Cilicia, where Tarsus is. He's there for 14 years. Getting, he's gone through a tremendous transformation. And finally, Barnabas is in Antioch of Syria, amazing work going on there by the Holy Spirit and bringing massive numbers of Gentiles into the kingdom. And Barnabas goes to Tarsus, and my, my suspicion is he says, okay, Paul, Saul, it's time to get off your duff. Let's get working. <laughs> and he brings him there to Antioch of Syria, and that is the beginning of his public ministry, which went on for many years. Why am I going through this? Why, is, why does Paul cite all of his own experience? Because here, during his apostolic ministry, he got an eye problem. He had an he had issue with his eyesight. We don't know the details. We had a, and no matter how much he prayed, it was not being solved. Why? Because Jesus had a, a job for him to do. There was a known naturopathic cure up in the region of Galatia. So Paul went to Galatia. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone. And while he's there seeking this naturopathic cure, he starts several churches in that province. And he grounds them in the most holy faith. He grounds them in a correct understanding of the gospel. What is the gospel? As we're going to see, as Paul lays it out, reminds them in this letter. Also, he hammers it in Romans. What is the gospel? The gospel is... <clears throat> There is a single, authentic creator God. There is a single, authentic creator God, and his moral nature is that he is holy. He is absolutely holy. There is nothing tainted about him from the moral aspect. He is absolutely holy. Oh, by the way, we've got a problem. We're not holy. We're sinners. And there is nothing we can do. You know, let's say just in our own culture, let's say somebody goes out and in the street, right in front of a crowd of people, murders somebody. They just committed murder. You convict them, you send them, and they never sin again the rest of their lives. Now, we know that's not going to happen, but just please... Does that life of holiness make up for the murder they committed? No, it does not. They're still a murderer. The guilt of that murder is still upon them. We cannot, we cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot make ourselves clean before the Holy God. The Holy God took the initiative to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We have a holy God. We are not holy. The good news, part of the good news, here's the standard. Here's the holy God. Bad news, we're, we're sinful. We stand condemned before the holy God. But the holy God is also a God of mercy, love, grace, goodness, kindness. And he took the initiative of God the Father sent God the Son to pay sin's penalty for us. The Nicene Creed has it exactly biblically correct. Jesus of Nazareth is true God of true God. Fully God, fully God. 
true man of true man, fully man, joined together in one person. Jesus is not half man, half God. He's fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. All of the value that we attach to the Father is also the Son, is also God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is God the Son become man, fully man, fully God, and then he went to the cross. What does Jesus, what did John the Baptist say of Jesus of Nazareth? Behold, before his, his disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the flawless Lamb of God. For three years he walked before the Jewish culture. The Jewish leaders are picking at him from behind every rock and bush trying to find some fault. And they can't. Jesus is arrested, taken before the Jewish religious leadership for a nighttime trial, which is against the law of Moses, by the way. All legal proceedings are supposed to happen during the daylight hours, so the Religious leaders are breaking the law of God, but they can't even, they had trained witnesses. And when it came to public testimony, they couldn't, they blew it. <laughs> they couldn't get any testimonies to agree. In frustration, because Pilate is in Jerusalem, of course, by the sovereignty of God, they bring Jesus to Pilate. The Romans reserved to themselves the right to execute people. The Jews had no right. When they stoned Stephen to death later on, they're breaking Roman law. They bring Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate asks the religious leaders, the high, Annas and Caiaphas, who've just examined the Lamb of God, what accusations do you have against him? You just crucify him. Forget this accusation stuff. What? You don't have anything to accuse him of? That's not how it works. Well, that's how it's going to work this time. And even Pilate says, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this just man. Pilate, no sin, no crime. The Jewish religious leaders who hated him could not name a single flaw in this lamb. And he went to the cross and paid there he paid sin's penalty for us. And as we've recounted here at least a hundred times, that statement Jesus makes from the cross, it is finished. That is the, it's the word to die. that is the literal meaning, but it was used in both the marketplace and the court system of Rome as the word for paid in full. When you paid for your vegetables and goods in the market, they wrote across your papyrus of your list, paid in full when you had paid for it. In the Roman court system where they spoke Greek, not Latin, when you were convicted of a crime or a series of crimes, they made out an actual crime bill for you. 
and when you had paid off your crime bill, so many wax with the rods, so much time in the salt mines, whatever it was, they would write to telestai, pay it in full across your crime bill, roll it up and hand it to you so you could take it home and nail it to your front door. So your neighbors would know, hey, that guy Bob, we don't have, uh, 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 hey, look, at hey, what's he walking around? Well, you could lead him by the hand, take him to your door and say, no, go peddle your paper somewhere else. Paid in full. Okay. And in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, God has taken the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, the list of all of our crimes against heaven, and nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Clearly pointing to that same legal format that the Romans used. Our sin debt has been paid in full by Jesus of Nazareth, the Lamb of God taking all of the righteous wrath due to me. He took all of the lake of fire experience due to me. It was poured out on him. The law was satisfied because this person of immeasurable value, God the Son become flesh, got done would have would, would have taken us an eternity in the lake of fire he got done in about a six hour span on the cross paid in full paid in full well the apostle paul had to get pulled away from that tar baby of pharisaism of legalism the idea that my performance creates a welcome with the holy of god no it doesn't no it doesn't no it doesn't no matter what format you're, you use, if it's, in, if it's part of that, category, that description, no, it doesn't work. And Paul brought them the authentic gospel that he had been led into. And he had specific revelation from Christ. While he was, Jesus spoke to him there in, on the road to Damascus, but then the three years... He's in Arabia, the 14 years he's, he is being personally instructed, he says, by the revelation of Christ. He is being personally instructed by Jesus. I received this by revelation. And so he now, he's gone to Galatia, this Gentile region. He started these churches. He's now left, and he gets word that what has happened People, why does he go into the details here in Galatians 1 and 2 about his own pharisaical lifestyle and background? Because that is the kind of person that has come into the churches of Galatia. They've come into these churches and say, hey, we're here to help you. You need to know that this fellow who started these churches here, he's really a, a wild knucklehead. All of this tale he gave you about the gospel being something that this good news is that Jesus of Nazareth paid sin's penalty for everyone, and all you had to do was welcome that by faith, receive that gift. He, that's really not right. That's really not right. And so they brought in this pharisaical orientation to legal law-keeping, law-keeping. Law. Is there anything wrong with the law? There's not a thing wrong with the law. But by the keeping of the law, you're damned. You're not. The law only damns you. It doesn't redeem you. But they've come in and they have defamed Paul. They've lied about him 
So he's got to lay out. That's why he's laying out his own history here in his encounter with Jesus. They're lying about him, and they're lying about what can we do to find a welcome with God. And they're pulling these people away from the authentic gospel to the pharisaical approach. That's why he goes through this narrative. And Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon drawn away, easily drawn away by these people. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who, him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, in my Bible, it correctly has him who draws you. The him is capitalized. Paul spoke words. The one who animated them, energized them, gave them understanding, light, and life was Jesus. Jesus called them. This is in Protestant doctrine. It's called the doctrine of irresistible grace. God calls, we come. Again, quoted almost every week, James chapter 1, the Holy Spirit through James Penn says, it is of his God's own will that he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me tell you, folks, that's enormous <sighs> encouragement. I can't talk anybody into the kingdom, and neither can you, but the Holy Spirit can drag them <laughs> into the kingdom. We're all stories. We're everybody's, the reality for everybody, we're all dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom whether we understood that at the time or not, when we get to heaven and we look back, oh yeah, I was a resurrection account. I marvel that you are so, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which has no right to the word, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you who pervert the gospel of Christ. Anytime you add any, and they say it, and there are many denominations that do this. Christ plus. Christ plus. Christ plus. No, there is no plus. Jesus got it done. That simple chorus that we so often end our worship service with. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We can't add anything to the work or we don't need to add anything to the work of Christ he paid the penalty for our sin all we need to do is by the enabling power of his Holy Spirit reach out an empty hand to receive the scroll that says to tell us die across our crime lip bill that's it I marvel that you are so depart so quickly departing from this gospel Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, even if I showed up with a different gospel, stiff arm me. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. That's strong language, folks. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I please, still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You know, the world will put up with just about anything. 
accept the, un, the unrestrained truth. If you add one drop of poison to the truth of God, the world will accept it. But they will not accept the pure gospel. Why? Because there's nothing for their pride in that. There's nothing that empowers them. All of the worship goes to God. Goes to God the Father, the one who sent the Son. God the Son who came. And God the Holy Spirit who energized the entire process. All the glory goes to God. And the human race covets worship. Just as Lucifer coveted, coveted worship, so we are replicators of Lucifer apart from God's intervention. So chapter 2, we find, you know, after Paul has described the narrative of how he went through for the first three years, after three years I went up to Jerusalem and I finally got to sit down with Peter and he agreed, he embraced me and so forth, but then Saul goes to, to Sarsis for 14 years. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now, what has happened? Saul went home to Tarsus, where the family estate was. He's been there for 14 years. Barnabas is in Damascus of Syria, or excuse me, Antioch of Syria, and God is doing a mighty work there, an overwhelming work. And Barnabas really needs some help. And he knows this fellow who's been sitting there, so far as Barnabas knows, just twiddling his thumbs for the last 14 years, who is actually very gifted by God. Barnabas knows it. Barnabas goes to Tarsus. And my interpretation is he says, uh, Saul, Paul, time to get off your duff and get in the battle. And so he joins Barnabas in Antioch of Syria, they are having a wonderful, glorious, marvelous time. The gospel is exploding in that area. And while they are there, they decide, okay, we need to make sure, here's all these Gentiles coming to faith. And so Barnabas and Paul and Titus, who is a Greek background, ethnical, ethnic background believer, they go up to Jerusalem. Why are they going to Jerusalem? They want to sit down with the apostles. Okay, guys, we want your approval. We want to run everything we're preaching by you to make sure that we aren't getting anything wrong. By the way, this is a very this is an act of humility. Paul has already said, "I received what I'm what I what I am preaching by the revelation of Jesus Christ." But he was not so full of himself that he's not going to put it before the other apostles. They Barnabas, Paul, Titus. They go to uh, Jerusalem. They sit down with Peter. With James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, and the Apostle John. And they present to them what their message is and what their, their ministry principles are. And 
Let me begin in 2.1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, also took Titus with me. I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I had, might run or had run in vain. Hey, have I been making any mistakes here in my truth declaration, Peter, John, James? Yet not even Titus, and apparently not, because a part of Paul's presentation to the Gentiles is <clears throat> you can set aside those Jewish require those book of Leviticus requirements when, and we know from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he really hammers this, goes into depth, on the day of Pentecost, a new event began. The day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. We're told by Paul in Romans that Israel has been temporarily set aside as the format through which God is reaching out to the world. He set them aside. He's established a new body of redeemed people called the church. And in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Well, that's a new thing. What is the foundation, humanly speaking, of Israel? It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not, it's not Peter and John and the other apostles. This is a new body of redeemed people. He's temporarily set Israel aside. He's created this new body of redeemed. And this was a secret. This was a secret. The word mystery, the mystery, the mystery. The Greek word mysterion means it was a secret that God had. And he, nobody knew about it. He sprung it on the believers in Jerusalem, but he doesn't fully disclose what this whole format is until he pushes it through the Apostle Paul. And even Peter says, man, in, in 2 Peter, Peter says, I have been studying Paul. What he's writing, there are people that oppose Paul as they do the rest of Scripture's. I'm having a hard time getting my mind wrapped around it, but it is Scripture. It's the truth. Peter had to do some reorienting to pull away from Israel as the format. Here's this new format called the church. And he's one of the foundation stones of this new format. But I presented my truth message my basic seminar to these three apostles, to these three men, and they approved it. And even Titus, being with, who is with me, being a Greek, was not compelled to be circumcised. Well, if, is, if the format for Israel is still in place, he should have been. But that format is not still in place. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. We were free from some of those laws, not the moral law, but the cultural features of Judaism that we no longer were mandated to keep. They had come in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Okay, 
And then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, he gives another event that happened afterwards. What happened afterwards? Peter went up to Antioch of Syria, and he is ministering beside, shoulder to shoulder with Paul and Barnabas, and he is having a blast. He is loving it. He is really enjoying what's going on there. And then, and what are they doing? They're getting together in homes. They're doing love feasts together, and they're building each other up in the most holy faith. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, and Peter is enjoying himself, and then these Judaizing Christians came from Jerusalem. It says from James. That really means from Jerusalem. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, what happened is that Peter, who is having such a good time, all of a sudden these Judaizing Christians show up, and they're, they're having the love feast. Here's the buffet table. And it's got foods on the buffet table that don't actually measure up to the book of Leviticus standards. They might even have rabbit or pork or other things on the table there that you can put that on your plate. And so these Judaizing Christians have come. They set up a separate buffet table that's only things that conform to the book of Leviticus. And Peter picks up his plate and he's going, uh, I think I'll go to the Levitical buffet table. And he starts doing that. And that's when the Apostle Paul stands up. Peter, you stop it. You stop it. Don't you bow to these, to these guys because they're intimidating you. It's not who's a Jew, it's who's redeemed. And redemption is based on Jesus' work on the cross, not the food you do or don't eat, or the length of your sleeves, or the tilt of your skull cap. Stop it. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, from Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentile. I got no problem with this, yeah. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. He feared them rather than God. Folks, human intimidation is a real thing. And the rest of the Jews who were also present in the congregation who watched Peter also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So he wasn't just rebuking Peter, he's rebuking Barnabas. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles, not as Jews, before these fellows showed up, you're eating rabbit, you're eating pork, you're doing, you're having a great time today. And then these guys showed up and intimidated you. You were living like a Gentile. Now, oh, I better not do that. If you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles, it's not in Jews. Why do you counsel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now you're turning around and telling these Gentiles to do what you hadn't been doing. 
we who are Jews by nature, and this is all sarcasm, folks. You should be, this is dripping with sarcasm. He, we who are Jews <coughs> by nature and not sinners <coughs> of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is justif- not justified by the works of the law, but, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Peter, what is the core of the gospel? We abandon every concept of self-righteousness. We abandon it. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags to God. We abandon it in favor of the work of redemption done by Jesus on the cross. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by, by, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, no human being can be justified. It's not going to happen. If it could have happened, Jesus wouldn't have bothered going to the cross. He went to the cross because it was absolutely imperative. Otherwise, the entire human race would find itself in the lake of fire forever and ever. And God so loved the world. God loves mercy. Are we grateful that our God loves mercy? mercy. Amen. We are. Well, we'll pick up with the narrative next week, but Galatians is a blockbuster book. As I was speaking with a gentleman before the worship service started, a visitor who's a strong Lutheran background, Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians was the blockbuster book that he wrote that went out through Europe that caused the gospel explosion that became the Protestant Reformation. Galatians is a straight-from-the-shoulder from God the Holy Spirit message for the entire human race. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are all grateful that you love mercy. Because you love mercy... You so loved us sinners, as unlike you as we could possibly be, but you still loved us. You sent your Son to pay sin's penalty for us so that we could be freely, 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 gladly forgiven. We thank you for that truth, that we have a glad welcome with the Holy God because of what your Son accomplished for us. We ask that you would enable us to walk in that truth, revel in it in the week to come, and grant to each of us an opportunity to share that simple, profound, powerful message with someone else this week. We ask this of you. We're about to sing a song, Lead On, O King Eternal. Lord, lead us to do your work this coming week in which we are expressing this very message to people who need to hear it. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, the word